Good morning, everybody. Happy Veterans Day. Happy Veterans Day. If you were in service or serve today, would you please, don't want to make you feel uncomfortable, but we do want to honor you. Would you please stand if that's you? All right. Anybody else? We just want to say thank you and God bless you. Good to see you yeah, we, uh, me and my family, we, this is very personal to us. My wife serves in the Navy. Uh, by the way, Vilma is doing fine. Uh, she had surgery, carpal tunnel surgery on her arm uh, and her wrist. Uh, so she's recovering and soaking up all of the benefits that come with being sick. Uh, so me and my boys have been doing hair because she can't use one arm. And we've been doing ponytails and all kinds of stuff that we've never, ever done in our lives. Uh, but we, we love her, and so we do that for her. And so she serves. She's not able to be here to be honored, but we honor those of you who do serve. We know what it takes. I personally know what it takes, and not just you, but your families and what your families sacrifice, what your families go through. I can remember the first time Vilma uh, was deployed, nine months on a ship, and I had two boys, age um, three and five, <laughs> uh, for nine months, and I was running the church in Guam, and they were... They were like my, my assistants, you know, running beside me. And at every meeting, they were on a chair on the side. And, I mean, it was just, you know, the things that the families go through also so that their family member can serve, uh, it's a lot. So we thank you for your sacrifice, for your commitment, and for what you do for our country, for protecting our freedoms that we so often take for granted. But we can worship freely, not like some countries. You say Jesus and you're jailed. You switch your religion and you're killed. That's not our nation. Amen. So thank you guys so much. We, we appreciate you. We pray for you, uh, for your safety. Also, we have an update on our storage unit. Yeah, so for those of you guys who know, we are, uh, we're still kind of on a skeleton uh, crew system right now. But uh, our storage unit where we store our church uh, equipment, as you know, we are set up on Sunday, break down on Sunday. Uh, haul in Sunday morning, haul out Sunday afternoon. And then we put everything in the storage. Well, our storage was in an intense fire. Um, and we didn't have access to it for probably about two months. And so we've been renting this equipment. That's not what we usually have. Um, and the city would not let us into the storage unit because it was a safety issue. They said, we don't know the integrity of the building. We don't know if we let you in. Is it going to fall on you? And so there was damage. Just when you drive around the building, you see the fire that was coming out the windows on the top floor. Um, and they were saying that the fire had even uh, affected the bottom floor, which is where we are, which is where we park our van. Well, we went in last uh, Monday, um, and we, I know I was calling for a lot of help. Well, it turns out we get there, and we couldn't even go into the unit. They said, no, our workers are going to be the ones to go in and pull everything out. You tell us what you're keeping, and you tell us what's going. So here's kind of the update. Everything that we keep in the van that was parked, we hope is okay. We haven't tested it yet, but it looks good. Um, everything else outside of the van that was stored was waterlogged and wet and ashes and mildew and mold because uh, the water ran for two days. The sprinkler, which puts out hundreds of gallons per second, uh, it ran for two days. Uh, so the good news is we got our stuff out. We got what we needed out. The rest we're going to try to claim on insurance. Uh, we'll recoup that. And so um, that's the update. Hopefully what we have is good enough to keep going. Uh, if not, we'll be making um, some purchases and uh, pray that our insurance says, yes, we'll cover that. Amen? Speaking of storage units, um, I don't know if you've noticed how many storage units there are um, in our valley. They're, they're all over the place. Um, you know, when I got the phone call for our storage unit, I remember thinking, okay, we got to get our van out. If our stuff is still good, we need to get it out. And I can't bring it home. It's too much stuff. And so I began to look for other storage units. As I was driving uh, every morning, uh, look, just looking, I, I realized there's storage units all over the place. Every, every corner, there's a storage unit. And uh, so then I started to think, you know, I mean, man, let me, let me look at the market of storage units. And so I started to look that up online. And the market for storage units is very healthy. The outlook... It's very healthy. If you're looking for a business to get into, get into storage. Because we have so much stuff, don't we? <laughs> if you have a storage unit like I do, it means that there is stuff that you cannot fit in your house. 
that you need somewhere to put. And a lot of people just worry about having a, a, a place to stay. Well, the other half of us worry about having a place for our stuff to stay. <laughs> and so these storage units are off the charts. So here's some uh, interesting uh, statistics. Uh, as I was doing research for today's message, um, as of 2021, there are 279 storage facilities, not storage units, not one door where you lift up, 279 kind of mini campuses of storage units here in the Valley. That was as of 2021. That puts us above the national average. All right? Uh, there are somewhere around 60,000 storage facilities in the U.S. right now as we speak. That's more than McDonald's. That's more than Starbucks, that's more than Walmart, that's more than Walgreens, that's more than CVS, and 7-Eleven. What does that say about America? Well, let me keep going just a little bit. In comparison to America having close to 60,000, that was as of, I don't know what it is now, we might be over that, but about 60,000 storage units. In Europe, which is a much larger country than ours, they have... 2,400 combined. 2,400 compared to our 60,000 storage units. The market for self-storage is healthy and it's growing. If, a, if there were a sport called hoarding, America would come in first, second, and third place every single year. That's how much stuff we have. Why does America need so many storage facilities? It's because of you and I. But I have an excuse. Not only do I have my stuff, I have our church stuff in my storage. <laughs> okay, so I don't know how much of an excuse that is, but I, I got a lot of stuff um, in there uh, as well. And so the reason I start here is because we're living in a culture that is obsessed with accumulating and, and, and gaining and keeping and getting and gaining more and more things, more and more stuff. It's about what we have and how much we have and how much we can make and how much we can, how many know what I'm saying? So today we continue our, uh, continue our series Reboot. It's a series where we take something that's not so good and we replace it with a biblical virtue. Last week, Pastor Matt kicked off the series replacing uh, timidity with fear. How many enjoyed last week's message? How many got something out of that? I hope that blessed you. Talking about timidity, replacing it with boldness. Well, today we're going to talk about something that is hard to see. Most of us would probably even deny it, but we're going to look at the bit, what the Bible says about it. But we're, today we're going to look at greed. How many know we live in Las Vegas, and there's a lot of money here. There's a lot of money to be made. There's a lot of glitz and glamour. And there's a lot of greed in our city. But you'd be going, ah, no, not me, pastor. Me? Greedy? No. It's just one of those sins that is, that is hard to tell because it cloaks itself behind other things. Like, oh, no, no, you know, I just, I just grew up without a lot of things. Anybody grew up in poverty? I, I grew up on the poverty line. Five kids. And my parents didn't have a lot to, to take care of us with. And so we, we lived in places that weren't very safe. And so I could use that as an excuse to, no, 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 I'm not greedy. I just, I just didn't have a lot when I was growing up. And so that's why, you know, I want to, you know, I want to just be safe and, and be comfortable. And how many have ever said, well, I want my kids to have more than I had. And that's valid. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, but a lot of times we hide behind that smokescreen of, of excuses. Well, today we're going to understand greed, and what the Bible says to counter it with, which is something called generosity. And you have to understand that it has nothing to do with how much you have. Because a lot of times we think, oh no, the greedy people are the people with the, the multiple houses, and the nice cars, and all the property, and you know, all the, those are the greedy people, right? And it has nothing to do with what we have. It has everything to do with our heart. And that's what we're going to look at. Uh, here in the Bible. So let's turn to Luke chapter 12, verse 13 through 21. Uh, and before we get to the scripture, I just want to acknowledge that, um, yeah, you know, when we talk about money in the church, it's always one of those caricatures. Oh, here we go again. The church is asking for money again. And, and that's another smokescreen we can hide behind. But um, let me remind you that uh, we are a nonprofit organization and we are no different than any other. They all ask you for your money. 
Amen? <laughs> okay, just making sure I'm in the right house. <laughs> All right, and so uh, if you're here for the first time, elbow the person who invited you. Say, why did you invite me on the money day? No, we're going to have fun with this, guys. I don't want to, you know, a lot of times when the church talks about money, it's, it's guilt-driven, it's pressure-driven, it's, and that's not what this is going to be today. At least I hope not. What I want to do to you, uh, for you today is inspire you to respond to God because of all the good things that he's done for us and that when we give to him, it really is not a thing. And so, but we'll get to that here uh, in a minute. So um, in this culture um, uh, that we're going to talk about, uh, the inher- we're gonna, there's something called an inheritance that we're going to get to. Matter of fact, let's just uh, read the scripture. Uh, or let me give you some context first. So as we get to um, Luke... Uh, What's going on here in verse 12, there's a big crowd gathered around Jesus. In the beginning of the chapter, it says thousands of people were gathered around Jesus. And one of them asks him a question. It was, uh, there was a situation within the family uh, among brothers. Um, Verse 13, it says, someone in the crowd, this is where we pick up. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So again, in this culture... The inheritance was given to the sons uh, only. The assumption was that the daughters or the sisters would eventually marry into another family and that would be their inheritance. In other words, they would already be taken care of. And so, you know, even as I think about it, you know, we, there's this, these weird thoughts about, about Christians and money and how much should we have and how much can we have. And, you know, some of us think that, you know, we need to, you know, be kind of a Mother Teresa and not have a lot. Right, and to sacrifice a lot. And then there are scriptures in the Bible that says, no, there's nothing wrong with money as long as money doesn't have you. And so the Bible tells me that a godly man has enough for his son's children and their children, which means, to me, I equate that to mean that there needs to be enough for two generations in my household. So don't be afraid of money. Don't be afraid of having money. Don't be afraid of having a lot of it. You'll find that there's a reason that God gives you the ability to create wealth, that you don't always have to apologize for it as long as God has your heart and money doesn't. All right, you're tracking with me so far. All right, so uh, we were talking about culture and how the daughters would marry into another family. Well, these two brothers, apparently the inheritance wasn't divided correctly. And so in this story, the father had died, and one of the brothers, um, I, I don't know, he shortchanged his other brother. And so he's telling Jesus, can you help us do this properly? Can you get on my brother? Verse 14, but he said to him, man, this is Jesus, man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Other versions of the Bible say all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, when I was single, I, I did. I hoarded. I saved everything. When I got married and got a family, I am trying to hide stuff from them and throw it out without them knowing. And my wife is good at saying, no, 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 there's nothing wrong with it. It's still valuable. It still works, and so there's no reason. If it's not broke, don't get rid of it. You know, and I'm going, oh, you know, and I'm thinking of storage fees. Uh, And then when we moved from Guam to here, we relocated. I told her, I said, hey, why don't you and the kids go first? And I had everything in boxes, and half those boxes did not make it to America. And guess what? She never even asked for them. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, she's not here, so I can take advantage of uh, all that. Verse... uh, (laughs) Why does Jesus say to watch out for greed? Because it's not easy to identify. It's not one of those sins that's obvious where you're, you know, uh, every time I come down off the stage, people come up and ask for prayer. Pastor, can you pray for me? You know, I'm, I'm struggling with anger. Obvious. You know, or pastor, you know, pray for me. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm struggling with lust. You know, those are obvious. We know that. But greed, again, we're like, no, nah, uh, not me. I gave, I gave a dollar to the homeless guy on the street the other day, right? And, and I give, and I, I treated somebody out to, to lunch. And, 
right? Not me. And so it continues. I say that to say that nobody's ever come to me and say, Pastor, can you pray for me? Because I kind of struggle with greed. Not a single time. Never happened. Um, And then he continues with this parable in verse 16. And he told them a parable saying, this is uh, Jesus, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger storage facilities. This is the first biblical reference of self-storage. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Without looking at the Bible, isn't that the goal? Isn't that what we strive to do? Isn't that our, our desire to... To work hard, there's nothing wrong with working. I hope you don't mind working. If not, we'll pray for you. But working and then getting paid and then saving and then storing up and then having enough, isn't that, isn't that, that's a, nothing wrong with that, is it? That, that's the goal. If we stop the story right here, most of us would go, wow, that's a great retirement story. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, man, I could look up to that guy. But then Jesus takes a, a hard right here. He says, another, it goes a totally different direction. Verse 20, but God said to him, and this is the only verse where God directly calls somebody a fool. What makes this person a fool? We're going to get into this. But God said to him, fool. I just love saying that. Fool, what's up, fool? God said, what's up, fool? This night your soul is required of you. And the things you prepared, whose will they be? All the stuff you stored, all the stuff you accumulated, who's going to own that? Verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. In the beginning, I said that the solution for greed was what? Generosity. Say it loud and proud. Generosity. So how do we move towards generosity? I'm going to give you four quick points because I want to do something at the end. I want to do a little, little test to kind of identify um, where we might find ourselves to, in order not to, not to make anyone feel bad, but really to inspire us to, man, if I'm here, then my next step should God with all of our heart. Most of us want to see his kingdom advance. I mean, that's, that's what we do. That's who, who we are, right? We're his people. We've given our lives, we've surrendered to him, and we want to see the kingdom go forward, right? And so um, it's just there's some things that are easy for us and some things that aren't so easy. And so that's where I want to help us today. So the solution for greed is generosity. How do we move towards generosity? Uh, Here are four things that will guide us in our journey towards generosity, which is the title of my message, Journey to Generosity, because I realize not all of us are there. I'll be honest with you, I'm not all the way there, and I'm a pastor, Here's my first point. Proper perspective brings contentment. Proper perspective brings contentment. This is going to be one of the hardest pushes I make this morning, okay? Nothing brings perspective like asking the right questions. The main question that we must all begin with when it comes to money and perspective is who owns it. Now, I understand that I am speaking to God's people today. Maybe you're visiting, this is your first time in a church like this, and you don't understand, you don't get it. You get, you get a buy today. Okay, you're, you're off the hook. I'm talking to the people you know God, and you say that you follow him, okay? Okay, say, I love you, Pastor. And say, after this, I, I'm still going to love you. Not, not everybody said it. I'm a little scared now. I'm going to check my email after this because some of y'all don't want to talk face-to-face. Send an email. I didn't like that message, did you? The next question is how much of it does he own? How much of it does he own? Because that will bring perspective 
real quick. Let me give you an example. When I was uh, living uh, and pastoring the church in Guam, um, we had this car. And we try, to, we try to be generous. We try to understand that, God, you own everything. Our house, you own it. Our cars, you own it. Our bank accounts, you own it. Our clothes, you own it. God, if you told me to give my wardrobe away, I hope that I would obey. Right? That's our heart generally. Well, one day I began to struggle in prayer because I felt like God was saying, you need to give your car away. And I was going, devil, is that you? And I forgot about it. The next day I'm in prayer, and sure enough, there it is again. And I'm going, man, ah, oh, <laughs> I like that car. It wasn't, it wasn't a junker. It wasn't a, you know, a beat up. I mean, it was a good, I mean, I liked the car. And so I go to my wife, and somehow, I don't know why God speaks to our wives first. And I said, I said, babe, I, something weird, and you know, you can speak into this. But I feel like God is telling us to give our card away. And my wife said, she smiled, she said, did he tell you who? And I said, I think so. And she said, who? And there was this single mother in our church who had four children. And her car was breaking down and people were giving her rides. God told me to give that car to her. This is not to brag. Okay, this is not to make myself look good because this is nothing compared to other stories I can tell you. And so I said, I think it's, I think it's her. And she, and she smiles. She goes, yep, you're right. And I go, what do you mean? She says, I've been there. I've, I've been here the whole time. I'm just, I'm just waiting for you. And I get that response a lot when, when big decisions. And so I said, okay. Uh, you know, so we, we called her up. We said, hey, let's, let's have lunch after church. And we told her, we want to bless you with this car. We know that things haven't been easy. And, you know, hey, don't. Don't say anything to anybody. They don't need to know. They'll just think you're borrowing it, but it's yours. I said, there's one condition, though. There is a small oil leak in the valve cover. If you know anything about cars mechanically, the valve cover is very easy to fix. I mean, it's literally a few bolts, reseal it, pop it back on, tighten it up to the specifications, and you're good. It takes literally just, it doesn't take a long time. And I said, if you can have somebody fix that or bring it back to me, and I'll do it. And she says, yes, no problem. I said, if you don't, the oil will continue to leak. You'll blow the engine. And so everything was good. You know, I'm feeling good because I'm, you know, I just did this real spiritual thing. And I'm thinking, here I am, generous. Well, a few months later, I see her being dropped off. And I said, hey, where's the car? And she very ashamedly said, oh, the engine blew. And I said, what happened? She said, I never fixed it. And I said, ah, oh, oh. okay, how many know I was upset? A car that I could have kept, that I could have been driving, that was valuable, that small minor repair. And as I was angry and, and venting to my wife, she says, you know what, you need to check your heart. And I said, why? She said, you need to go and pray. And I said, you know what? Fine, I will. And I went and I began to pray and God said, you know what? Why are you upset? Whose car was it? And I began to realize real quick, not mine. And he said, if it's not yours and it's mine, why are you upset? And he said, secondly, who did you give the car to? Did you give it to her or did you give it to me? All of a sudden, perspective started to come into the right alignment. And I said, God, I gave you that car. He said, then that is my problem and not yours. And I said, wow. And I went back outside and my wife was looking at me like, and I was like, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Again, perspective is everything. I want to show you a picture. Uh, no, no, don't, don't show the picture yet. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, I want to just tackle a couple of things, and that's that um, God does not need your money. You realize that. God did not need my car. God does not need anything. God doesn't want your money. God wants your heart. 
Jesus spoke more about money than heaven and hell combined. Why did he do that? Was Jesus greedy as we're, ta- as we're on the subject? No, Jesus wasn't greedy. He just knew that most problems stem from this. And if you want to check your spiritual condition, all Jesus has to do is come and inspect your heart. You know what I believe? I believe if money is God's and it belongs to him and he gives it to us to be responsible and to steward it, like a good accountant, I feel like when we get to heaven, he's going to say, all right, welcome, Uh, have a seat. Uh, Can you break out your bank account? We're going to go through that real quick. If Jesus were to do that, how would you feel right now? If the condition of our heart is attached to what this thing that we call money. The moment we, someone starts talking about money or owing money or giving money, what do we do? We, get, we, get, we start to get on defensive, don't we? And so this idea of living for ourselves, it reminds me of games that we play. I don't know if Doc Johnny's in here. Is, is Doc, uh, Dr. Johnny in here? Maybe he's outside or I don't know if he was here today, but he's our game master. That guy loves to play games. Whenever there's a crowd, we had the, the campus students at my house for a barbecue a couple of weeks ago, and, man, he got us playing these games we had never played before. But how many play card games before, and you played, like, Goldfish, right? Or you play Uno. How many like the game of Monopoly? What is the goal of Monopoly? Buy everything. Own everything. The winner is the person who has the most at the end. But then you play games like Go Fish, where one person wins and the cards that you have in your hand go against you. And does anybody play Uno still? Any, any Uno champs in here? Okay, all right, okay, we got to get this going someday. Okay? But Uno's the same. If once somebody is Uno and then they're out, you count your cards and you, you figure out how much you have. The person with the higher score loses. And you know, I begin to realize that Following Jesus is a lot more like Uno than it is like Monopoly. And the more that you give away, the more he tallies in heaven for you. Here's my second point. Following God's principles brings confidence. Oh, no, 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 sorry. Proper, I said proper perspective brings contentment, right? All right. Next verse, following God's principles brings confidence and trust. Matthew, Matthew 7, 24 and 25. Can we put that verse up? Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does, the, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came. Next verse. And the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Now, uh, there's a story about a couple named Warren and Pam Adams. My man Skyler over here is from the city of Galveston, Texas, right on the coast. Um, it is known to get hit by uh, hurricanes every once in a while. And so um, I believe it was in like 2003-ish, um, there was a hurricane. This might be before your time, young man. Um, there was a strong hurricane uh, I think it was Hurricane Rita, if I remember the story, came through and wiped out all the houses. Well, uh, the Warrens, this family, decided to hire an engineer and builders that would build their next house with specifications that would withstand hurricanes. And so they did that, and a few years later was Hurricane Ike. And can you show that picture? This was the Warren's house. Everybody else rebuilt. The hurricane came and wiped everybody out except for the Warrens because they followed a set of principles that was proven. And if there is any set of principles that is proven, it is what we find in our Bible hasn't changed for generations, hasn't changed for centuries. The word of God has been true, it stands true, it's been tried to get rid of, they tried to wipe it out, and it never has. 
And time after time after time, God just goes, see, I told you. When you do it my way, it just works. They followed a set of principles. And when they said when they returned to the town, they couldn't believe. It looked like a bomb was dropped. That's what it looks like. But they walked up to a house that was still standing. Was it damaged? Yes. Did it fall? No. When you follow and do things the way God says, you might experience some damage sometimes, but you won't fall. And that's a promise that God makes. And that reminds me of another story that we just read. One man was wise because he built on a set of principles, the foundation of God he built on the rock. The other one was a fool because he did not build on those principles, those foundational principles. His word will never change. His word will always be right. And his word will always be relevant. This book that was written thousands of years ago is still relevant to us today. And I'm, I'm encouraging you that if you handle finances the way he says to, you'll be just fine. You'll be beyond fine. And you'll be able to be a blessing the way the Bible says that we can be. When we follow God's time-tested principles, not just read them, they work the same way they did over generations and generations. Next point, priorities lead to convictions. Priorities lead to convictions. Something that I run into a lot with Christians, as I, being a pastor, try to strive and be more like Jesus every day, which I fail a lot, by the way, I might have failed this morning on the drive here when that car, never mind. I'm just saying, okay, now you guys feel me, right? Now, <laughs> I run into this a lot where, um, you know, I'll live my life in a certain way or I'll do things or I won't do things and, you know, and it's not right or wrong. It's just I feel like that's what God has asked me to do and called me to do. And as I do that, uh, you know, and I'm trying to get closer to him, trying to be more like him. Um, I, I'll notice how some people will say sometimes, uh, you know, that's, that's you, but that's not really my conviction. You ever ran into that before? You ever heard that? That's really what it's saying is I'm allowed to do that. Maybe you can't, but I can. So I'm just going to, I'm okay to do it. And so when you prioritize certain things, it will help you in your convictions, because our convictions should never be just about us. When you go through the Bible, when Jesus says to do something or be something or something, it's for a reason. For you, yes, but so many other times, majority of the time, it's for others. It's for others. And so Paul would say things like, you know, um, I am free from the law. You know, this meat sacrifice to idols there's nothing wrong with it. Go ahead, eat up, eat up, eat up, eat up. Oh, but wait, there's somebody here who understands that that is wrong. For his sake, my conviction will change. I will hold back from that for the sake of this other person. Priorities lead to convictions. What are your priorities? Are your priorities you or are your priorities the people God is calling you to reach. Now, in our day and time, there's something called insider trading that most of us would love if it was legal, but it's not. If you are in tune with some insider trading on stocks and anything like that, you're going to jail, okay? But Jesus is saying, here on earth, that's wrong. In heaven, it's game, and Jesus is giving us the best advice financially. And he's saying that if you would give to things that are eternal, give to things that are heavenly, okay, not temporal, not for self, but towards God, then you've got a whole bank account in heaven just waiting for you. And so a lot of times we, we, we're not there. Because if we, believe, if we believe that, we'd be all in. I mean, Jesus, are you, are you serious? You mean to tell me that every dollar that I, that I give that advances your kingdom, that blesses somebody else, that, is, that goes to, you know, to, uh, to the work of your work, 
You're telling me that there's something in heaven waiting just for me? You would think I'm all in. Right now, I'm not. I'll be honest with you. Is that okay? Is that okay that I'm honest with you? Okay? But what is it? And again, for me, it's those smoke screens that we, we talk about. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says, Do not lay for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, Jesus isn't after your money. He's after your heart. And he's saying the best place, the safest place for you to invest, and I'm telling you right now, imagine this. Um, anybody here, you dabble in Bitcoin, you, you can't do Bitcoin, anybody? Just me? And I'll do, okay, a couple of us, all right, my man. Yeah, right? It's at 37,000 today, just saying. Just saying. This is not a, a, prom, a promotion. I'm not getting paid for this. Okay, matter of fact, I took a lot of money out, and now I'm regretting it. But anyway, but let's just say, because some people think that Bitcoin is the future of money, Right? And so let's just say, um, you know, in Jesus' name, amen, we go out, you're going home, you're about to grab some lunch, and then the future you shows up in a DeLorean floating off the ground. And he jumps out in a shiny suit, and he goes, Aljay, I know this is crazy, but I'm you, and I'm telling you, put all your money in Bitcoin. Bye. And he runs in and jumps in the car and he leaves. You think he's legit because his suit was all shiny, right? He had these, you know, futuristic glasses. If we believed it, we'd be like, oh, my gosh, you know, man, you know, forget that paper stuff, you know, and we dive into Bitcoin, right? And here's Jesus saying, yo, dude, I'm telling you, I know the future. I've got this. Listen to me today. Listen to me right now. The best place, mm, somebody's getting this. Somebody's getting this. The best place for your money. is in heavenly things. There's something that happens to our heart. Our heart begins to shift. Our, our heart begins to align when we give. It just, it just happens. God, you know, I drive around and I look at people with a lot of money and sometimes I get, you know, kind of, you know. <laughs> so what if he's got a Lamborghini? <laughs> right? And I start to get a little bit, you know, insecure. Where am I going with this? I'm not sure. I had a point. The point was I want a Lamborghini. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, it's your heart. It's your heart. And I come across stuff like that, and I, God starts to expose my heart. But then I come into a place like this, or I hear a story, or I hear about somebody who is struggling, something that we used to love to do, uh, me and my wife, was we used to love to buy people groceries and then run up and hang it on their door and then, and then run away. And they would never know who it's from. We love to give. We love to bless. I wasn't always there. I tell the story a lot about how, well, I'll tell you that story when I get to the next, when I get to the next part. I think it's more relevant there. Um, let me go to the last point. Um, Matthew 6, 31 through 33. I'll just say this. Don't hide behind the smoke screen of, oh, the church just wants your money and miss out on the greatest financial advice there is. Bitcoin will fade. Apple stock will fade. My man Elon as much as I love him, it's going to fade. Whatever kingdom is on this earth will fade, including yours. But his will not. Matthew 6, 31 through 33. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added. Jesus is saying, I got you. I got you. 
And in the area of money, it's one of the only places God says, test me. Go ahead. We're in Vegas. This is a betting city. Test me. That's what he says. And I'll say this. If you are a member of a Bible-believing church, even if you're not a member of this church, if this is not your home church and maybe you're here in the city because you're traveling, but let me give you this advice. When you go back to your church, let them feel your support financially because they don't operate on their own. They operate within a family. Support God's mission to reach this world. Uh, last point, conviction. We talked about priorities. We talked about contentment. We talked about setting our convictions. Conviction leads to commitment and a lifetime of generosity. Conviction leads to commitment and a lifetime of generosity. For a long time, I never gave money to the church because it wasn't my conviction. It wasn't that strong to me. I would hear the verses and, and there would go the smoke screen, you know. Uh, Seek first the kingdom. Smoke. I'm going, there. there it is again. Where's the laser show? Right? And, and that was, honestly, that was me. And so... A lifetime of generosity. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. When you cheerfully give, when you give and you're in a cheerful place, you know you've arrived at a different place. Because before I would give reluctantly, <laughs> with something this verse addresses, both of those things. Either you give reluctantly or you give cheerfully. And I would do both. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, man, God, uh, again? <laughs> and then something, if it moved my heart, oh, well, there's a child involved. Oh, yeah, I'm going to give to that. I was kind of bipolar. I was a bipolar giver. And so um, let me, the message right there, and then I want to uh, try to inspire us. This is going to be the last maybe five uh, minutes of, of my message today. Um, I, I, I call this journey of generosity for a reason because I realize that God wants us to be in a certain place. God wants me to be in a certain place and maybe I'm not there yet. And so this is a journey that I've been through um, that, that, that I can relate to um, and hopefully you can relate to as well. So what I want to do is I want to put some kind of miles, let's call them milestones for lack of better words. Um, I'm going to go through them one by one. And as we go through this, I want you to, um, you don't have to tell anybody else or show anybody else or, you know, maybe you can share in your groups later this week. I, it's, it's up to you. But I want to put some place markers up so that we can kind of identify where, where we are uh, biblically. And again, this is for God's people. Okay, if you're a visitor and you say, man, I'm new to this God thing, you know, I don't, I don't really, you know, I don't know if I'm connected with him yet. That's, this, is, this is not for you, okay? Maybe you can just observe, maybe put it in your pocket, maybe later. But for the rest of us who have received Jesus in our heart and say that, man, I love him and I follow him and I'm sold out to him, okay, this is for us, okay? So we're going to have us a little business meeting this morning. All right, so... Um, let me just start. Um, if you could throw up the occasional giver. Okay, so maybe uh, you would consider yourself an occasional giver or maybe even a cautious giver. Money's important to you. You don't just give it away to anybody or uh, anything. Uh, and that's, that's understandable. You work hard for your money, and so you want to protect it, right? You want it to go to the right things. And so, so maybe you gave for the first time or maybe you've come here and you've given a few times. Maybe there's a few charities that you, that you support. But you're still cautious. Maybe you're hesitant. But regardless of that, you're excited about your relationship with Jesus. And you're excited with your relationship with the church. And you're learning to trust him in everything, including your finances. And this would be your statement. You want God to change you from the inside out, and he is changing you from the inside out. 
and he always begins with the heart. Amen. Throw up the next one. So if you're an occasional giver, this would be the next step or the goal. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying you have to do anything. Don't go home and say, that pastor said, don't you do that. Because I don't care what you do when you leave here. I don't. Because again, God doesn't need your money. I trust God to take care of me and this church. So whatever your conviction is, I'm just trying to help as the pastor with the best financial advice in the world, in the universe, I would be doing you a disservice to not tell you these things. Right? So the next step would be to be a consistent giver. Maybe you give occasionally and you're like, ah, you know, you know, I'm not there yet, but this would be the next step. You have a plan to give or support God's mission. Maybe some of you are here. This is you. You're giving on a consistent basis. You find giving to be fulfilling and rewarding. You are cheerfully allowing God to be first in all areas of your life, including your checkbook or your bank account or your online, whatever you call it these days, okay, your banking app. Okay, all right, next one. If you're a consistent giver, the next step that I would try to inspire you to go to, and these are what I've been through, and it didn't take me, uh, it took me a long time to move through these. As, as I grew in my relationship with God, my convictions grew stronger. Um, I began to see God as being real. Uh, I cannot deny him, and now I'm in a brand new place. These are steps that I've been through. Then you become an intentional giver. Now, this is where everyone starts to be like, I knew it. I knew it. He's going to talk about the tithe. What does the tithe mean? <sighs> right, okay, let me get into this. <laughs> Your top financial priority is to bring the tithe to God. The Bible says in Malachi to bring your tithe to a specific place, to the storehouse, right? Um, let me say this about the tithe. The very first mention of the tithe was in uh, Genesis. And it was, there was a high priest without a beginning and without an end. They say he was a form of Jesus. Um, uh, Abraham had won victory over his enemies. The priest shows up and he blesses Abraham. And then Abraham gives him a tenth of all the spoils that, that he received. That was the very first mention of the tithe. It had nothing to do with Levitical law back then. It had nothing to do with uh, any ceremony, any, anything. Because a lot of people say, well, the tithe is tied to law. And I'm saying, well, according to the law of first mention, which is something that theologians use to study the Bible, it's when the very first time the word shows up. And in Genesis, it, the word tithe without explanation shows up out of nowhere. Abraham tithed. What, what does that mean? The law of first mention says to take that verse in its context with everything that was going on and figure out why it was and then use that as the basis going forward. And so again, the other smokescreen would say, well, I'm not a high priest, so I don't have to tithe because I'm not tied to that law. And I'm telling you the tithe is a response of the heart. It's not a law. So, maybe you're an intentional giver and your conviction is that the tithe is the standard. There's the verse that I was talking about. You understand that God owns all things. You believe God owns 100% of all that you have but specifically set aside the tithe. Here's the story I was going to tell you about. Some of you have heard this before. When I finally got to this place where, man, I can tithe, I get my paycheck, it was the first bill that I paid. I didn't pay my utilities, I didn't pay my car note, I didn't pay my rent. The first thing that went out was my tithe. That's, that's between me and God. And so we're in church, and I write this check, which was what we did in those days, and I put it in the basket, and I'm feeling good. But we had a guest speaker, and my pastor says, you know what, I want to take a second offering. And I'm going, What? A second offering for the, for the guest speaker. If he was a blessing to you, maybe consider giving more to him. And I was like, dude, I already tithe God. That's a lot for me. I don't make a lot of money. And so I remember just struggling, right? Remember I said I was a cheerful giver, which I was when I tithed. But now I was a reluctant giver because I had a, a bill in my pocket. And I don't know if it was a 20 or a 50, but I knew it was in my pocket. And I was trying to hide it from God. And God said, yeah, 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 that, yeah, yeah, give that. I'm going, oh. 
the baskets come around, and just at the last minute, I'm like, mm. baskets go by. I was like, man, that was my lunch money after church. I go home. I get out of my church clothes. I put on my house clothes. And wouldn't you know it, in my pocket was the same amount, a single bill, as what I gave to God. And I feel like God was saying, uh-huh. And I was going, man, God, I'm sorry. I just, I need to trust you more. And so, in my opinion, you guys can do your own study. You guys can go talk to other pastors. You guys can do whatever you want to do. I'm telling you my experience. For me, generosity doesn't happen until after this. So when people say, well, I don't have to give to the church. I can give to the guy down the street who needs food. Yes, you can. But the Bible is specific. There's a first step. Bring your tithe to the storehouse. Anything above that, you do whatever you want. And so when me and my wife say, you know, hey, we want to be a blessing. We heard somebody can't, you know, pay their car payment. Oh, we're going to take our tithe and give it to them. And that's not the way it works for us. At least from what I read in the Bible, that's not what. And so for me, it's, God, here is my tithe. That is earmarked. That is protected. Now I'm entering generous territory because I've already taken care of obligations. Generosity begins with responsibility. When I take care of my responsibilities, whatever I have left is what I am generous with, which is why, stop talking about the 10%. Why don't we talk about the 90? How do you spend the 90? Because the way you handle that determines your lifestyle. However, your lifestyle determines how much you are able to be a blessing with. Okay? Okay? Y'all still love me? Okay. All right, just, just checking. because. All right. Uh, you understand God owns all things. Oh, sorry, let's go back. Uh, you believe God owns all. You have, you have but specifically set aside the tithe. You want to respond in worship and devotion, but trusting him uh, with your tithe is part of it. Okay, let's go to the next one. We got two more. Now here's where a generous giver begins. You give above and beyond the tithe. You believe this type of giving is a reflection of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. How many know Jesus did not give you peanuts? Jesus didn't come to give you leftovers. Jesus came to give you enough and more than enough. He's a God of more than enough. What God wants is more important than your earthly possessions. What does he want? He wants your heart. Your commitment to generosity changes your lifestyle, priorities, and budget. You purposely make sacrifices in your life in order to give more and more often and to others. You consistently look for ways to be a blessing to the body of Christ. Okay, now let's go to the next one. A surrendered giver. This is, guys, where this is what I flirt with and I'm not there yet, okay? Let me say that this is almost like a calling. There are people who are millionaires and they understand that as a follower of God, God allows me to make this kind of wealth so that I can give it away. I uh, have met somebody who is a multimillionaire who tithes 90% and lives off of 10. That's how much money he makes. But he says, you know what? I'm fine with this. We have to determine how much is enough. That's one of the questions. You know, how much is enough? Is it going to be enough? You hold everything. Uh, you honor God with 100% of everything God has given you, including your things, including a car maybe. <laughs> Some of y'all going to this church is crazy. <laughs> You hold everything with open hands freely and willingly give to God in whatever ways he asks of you. Your life, reflect, uh, your life, that should be your life, reflects this in ways even beyond finances as God continues transforming you. You constantly think about eternity, the lost, and building God's kingdom. I put those up. And I realize this can be challenging. But nothing good ever comes out of comfort. And so, as your pastor, if I still am, 
as your pastor, it would be wrong of me not to preach the Bible to you. And we don't talk about money all the time. We don't, we don't float baskets across the chairs anymore. We, we don't do that. But my prayer today is that God would capture your heart so that I wouldn't have to get up here and say stuff like this. And, and I, I'll tell you right now, we're a generous church. We're a generous church. We feel your contribution. We feel all that you give. We feel all, and, 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 and because of what you do, we can be where we are. And I'm telling you, our church has next steps also. Pretty soon, we're going to be looking around for a permanent office space. Right now, we rent this place on Sunday, and then we vacate, and we don't see it for six more days. We pay an amount and use it for one day, and we can't use it after that, even after we've paid that amount. Where We're looking for a place where we can pay an amount and have it all week, and where we can invite you guys and have potlucks, and we can do trainings, and we can do Bible studies, and we can do music rehearsal. How many of you appreciate the music team? They put in a lot of time. They meet on a Friday night, part of their weekend, and then and we're always, oh, whose house are we practicing at tonight? Is there going to be food? <laughs> we're looking for a place that's permanent. And that can only happen when the family pulls together. Okay, so what I'm saying is if you're a follower of God and this family is a blessing to you, then my challenge is let's, see where we are on this journey and wherever we are if you would allow God to inspire you to shoot for whatever that next step would be and that is between you and God I'm free for questions we can interpret the Bible we can do whatever you want and this is something that I leave between you and this has got to be between you and God I'm not going to get up here and demand or none of that I'm not weird like that can we pray? Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you for your sacrifice. And thank you for what you've given us. Lord, you're an amazing God. If we were to put a percentage on what you gave, Jesus, it would have been everything, 100%. You gave your life. That's beyond sacrificial. Lord, I pray that our lives would be a reflection of the way that you that you gave to us. And Lord, I pray for grace. Lord, as we, as we go home and as we read your word and as we spend time with you in prayer, uh, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be the one to come alive and speak and move and touch and direct and comfort and challenge But most of all, Father, I pray that our relationship with you would grow closer, would grow tighter because that's how much we love you. Now, I know this was a strange message. If you're still in that prayer posture, just keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. And I have a, a couple of uh, my ushers just helping me to identify who I'm praying with today. So the rest of you, just your eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, yeah, this was a strange message, but I get it. God is after my heart. If God does not have your heart today and you don't have a relationship with him, maybe you've fallen away. Maybe you used to follow him and maybe you don't anymore. And maybe this is the first time you've ever been to a church like this, but you know that your heart has got to get right with him. If that's you, I want to pray with you. Would you raise your hand? Is that anybody here? God bless you. Anybody else? I see that hand. Anybody else? Okay, well, I've already gone over time. Pray with me real quick. Everybody together say, Jesus, thank you for your gift, for your sacrifice, for your life that you gave me. Even though I'm a sinner, even though I've done wrong, I ask for your forgiveness. And I ask that you apply your blood that you spilled for me over my life. Wash away my sin. I invite you to come into my life, 
to come into my heart, but most of all, to change me and to transform me so that I can reflect you and your love to the rest of this world. Thank you for your gift of life. I receive it today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.